0: Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Wow, 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 wow. That was great. I think we can just pray and go home. Uh, but i got too much to say, so I'm not going to let you. Uh, that, is, that is the message of, of the Scriptures that we're getting into today. And so... Uh, uh, Brother Jimmy Draper taught us something that I really liked. Let me—if you got your Bibles, or if you got your iPad or your smartphone with your scriptures on there, let me see them. Let me see them. Let me see them. Yeah, bring them every week. Good, good, good. Because we'll we'll use them. We will use them. I want you to be finding uh, First Corinthians, or as, as my European pastor buddies would say, One Corinthians, One Corinthians, chapter thirteen. First Corinthians chapter thirteen. How many? How many of you brides had that read at your wedding? I want to see. Okay, most most of the time it is. Most of the time it is. While you're looking for that, um, I want to uh, say so I looked up. I saw Jessica Rexrode's home. Hey, Jessica, welcome back. Let me tell you what she's did this summer. She was one of many of our. Uh, college students and young adults who spent the summer in ministry. She was a, uh, one of our North American mission board, uh, missionaries in the international ministries at the port of Mobile working with, uh, people coming and going at the port and great to have you home for one week and we'll send you back to school or something like that. Yeah. Morgan Reynolds is somewhere here today where there's Morgan, right? Stand up, Morgan. Morgan, um, is leaving this week to go to Clearview, Baptist Church in Franklin, Tennessee to serve a one-year ministry internship in their student ministry uh, department, kind of a next step in God's call on her life. And um, we're going to pray for you in just a minute and wanted everybody uh, to uh, know. So Brent, Angela, Wilson, camp season over. Well, so you're even up, up straight. I mean, uh, yeah. These guys, I'll say all the Wind Camps crew uh, back. Heard it was a great summer. We enjoyed it here. Thousands of kids all across America and in Brazil participated in Wind Shaped Camps this summer. And we're thankful. Uh, oh, there's John and Trudy. And for John and Trudy and their ministry, uh, the, these guys in Wind Shaped Camps. Uh, it's just exciting. God's hands on our church family. To It's mean, just using us everywhere. And, uh, we're sending a crew out, uh, this, uh, this week, John and Jennifer Phillips. Where's John? There he's, look, everybody turn around and look back look, wave, your, wave your hands, JP, you guys in the balcony. Sorry. John Phillips has served as the director of technical, uh, ministries, uh, as our church at our church for the last three years, he and Jennifer and their two precious girls, Uh, This has been their home for three years. Uh, God has given them an open door of ministry at one of our sister churches, a great church, Cross Church in Springdale, Arkansas. They actually are a multi-campus congregation. Again, one of our sister churches and and very excited uh, for him. He's going with an increased responsibility. Um, uh, and and increased ministry opportunity for influence. But the most important thing, we're close friends with his mom and dad. The most important thing they told me is that John and Jennifer are bringing their grandchildren 10 hours closer to them than they have been. And uh, so that's a good thing to be back near family. But John, uh, Jennifer, we love you. We thank God for you. Uh, You can call on us at any time, day or night, as long as God leaves us on the planet. And um, we're very thankful. We are, uh, you can see and hear me this morning because of him. Uh, that's part of what he uh, oversees. So thanks, buddy. God bless you. God bless you. Yeah. Well, Al, my wife Allison was in the first uh, service. Some of you uh, have, haven't been around too terribly long will say, well, I don't know who your wife is. Well, it's probably on purpose. She's kind of a background person. Um, and, uh, she wouldn't want to do what I do. And, uh, but, uh, wow, what a, she, what a great, uh, servant she is in, in our church. Her, her favorite people are much smaller than most of the people in the, in this room. And she serves, uh, in our children's ministry, but we're celebrating 40 years of marriage today. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Good stuff. Well, pray with me. Lord, Lord, we ask now that you would let our life be proof of your love. And if you don't do supernatural work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives and bodies and minds and wills and emotions, we shall not live that way. We need your grace. And so may we be get such a clear picture of your gospel, of your love for us, demonstrated by your death, on the cross for us while we were still sinful rebellious people uh, that we are overwhelmed with that love and it transforms us motivates us and enables us uh, to love you and love other people lord we pray for morgan as she travels this next year may your spirit be on uh, her and use her mightily and grow her up Uh, Continue to grow her up into the dynamic young woman of God that you are calling her to be. Thank you for these that are home after a summer of intensive ministry. Bless them as they take a deep breath and get ready for the next run. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, in 2004, Switchfoot released their, their big hit. Uh, are you who you want to be? And the the opening line of the chorus of that song, which some of you are in here early enough to hear, uh, was uh, is this: uh, "This is your life. Are you who you want to be?" Well, I wonder if you are. I wonder if you're the kind of person that you really want to be. Well, the Bible gives us God's portrait of uh, of the kind of person that God actually intends and will make you to be uh, and I think it's the preferable life I, I actually think it's the life you've always wanted. You, you may not have known it but we're going to take the next nine weeks and unpack this uh, this possibility for you and for me. the Bible calls these personal characteristics the fruit of the spirit, fruit of the spirit. Uh, one fruit that has nine facets. It's kind of like a beautiful diamond that you hold up that uh, has different uh, sides and different facets, and you can can see the whole diamond, but each side gives you another glimpse of the beauty. Uh, This passage of Scripture describes the kind of personality uh, that God can, through Christ, create in you and me. We find it in Galatians chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. And yes, we're going to spend nine weeks on two verses. So here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, the life of love is the dominant characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. A lifestyle of love, uh, the walk of love, the life of love, the life in Christ is a life of love in fact, in, in that same chapter, Galatians chapter five, verse fourteen, the scriptures say this: the entire law now speaking of the law, it means all of god 's moral and ethical standards. In the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, all of God's expectations, morally, spiritually, ethically, for individuals, for families, for for nations, for churches, it's all fulfilled. All fulfilled in one statement. And here it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, that the mark of love is the mark of a follower of Christ. And so uh, we're going to take a look at that this morning. Jesus Himself is the great example of the kind of love we're talking about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we find one of the most um, one of the passages that's most often taken out of context when it's used. And that's good to use this at a wedding. Uh, but that's not its primary purpose in the scriptures. Even we who have been followers of Jesus for a long time are tempted because of the beauty of this passage, and it is beautiful writing, the beauty of this passage to take it as mere poetic language, just to be enjoyed. That is not the intent of this passage. It is given in the imperative. There is a command for you and I to become the kind of person described here and live the kind of love that is described here, and it is the word. The word used to describe love is uh, agape. You may have heard that before. Uh, there are several different Greek words in the Scriptures that are translated to our English word love. They had, they were very precise in their language. We're not. We're pretty general uh, in English, and we just say love. But agape is a a non sexual highly affectionate, self-willing, self-sacrificing, self-giving love that never ends. It's, It's God's love for you and me. Yet in this passage, we are challenged by God in the Bible to love in this fashion. So rather than enjoying the beauty of this language, when I realized the intent of the passage, and I, be, I was soaking in this the last few weeks, getting ready, this thing beat the tar out of me, and I'm not going to be the only one to be beaten up by it, so you get to join in today. It, this is in, uh, the Scriptures here say that, that love is indispensable, that love, this kind of love is incredible, that this lot kind of love is undefeatable. Some context: The apostle Paul wrote this letter, inspired by God the Holy Spirit, to the Christians in the church at Corinth, a brand new church full of brand new Christians, in this port city of Greece, uh, an economic center, a a center of entertainment, um, a a, a place of uh, it was it was a vacation spot. Uh, where people in our country might travel to New York City or New Orleans for a week of entertainment, and uh, people would go to cor- uh, Corinth in the day, it was well well known um, cosmopolitan, ethnically, and religiously diverse uh, it was a, It was also a very sensual center of entertainment uh, with uh, stuff that was immor- immoral uh, readily available well. This church was founded in that city, and it was a church full of problems. Any pastor who's having problems with his church should just read this passage, and you'll feel a whole lot better about your church because these guys were a wreck. They were a mess. Uh, Church was full of problems. Here's the first thing. Uh, they, They promoted a celebrity culture. Imagine, this is unimaginable today. Listen to this. They promoted a celebrity culture that made rock stars out of Christian ministers. Who ever heard of such a thing? There's, I have a hard time getting past that point because that's killing us in the church, in the evangelical church in America today. I mean, let me just tell you, if, if I were three inches taller, had a better tan and had all my hair, our church would be bigger. John, am I lying? Much, we we sound just like this these Corinthians who said, "Oh, have you heard of Apollos? Man, he's my man. Have you heard of Paul? He's he's my, it's just hey, have you, heard, have you heard the latest song from Apollos? Man, you got to get that album. He's going to be in concert next week. We should all go and be entertained. Wonder if we can get his autograph. Don't ever ask a minister to sign your Bible." What's that about? Really? Really? See, I can't get off this point. God help me. It's just driving me nuts. So they, they made rock stars out of Christian ministers. They tolerated sexual immorality among their members and, and, and said, oh, it's, a, it's a, an expression of how much we love sinners. Uh, they bragged about that. They took each other to court over the least little thing. They misunderstood the observance of the Lord's Supper. They, they flaunted their freedom when they gathered for Wednesday night suppers and they, they practiced gluttony and got drunk at the church dinners. Uh, they, um, they, they flaunted their freedom to the point that they caused the spiritual downfall of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of new believers. They they were not loving. And Paul used all of these problems in this passage to describe to them the indispensability of love, how these things did not matter. Love is what matters. And here's what he says, if I speak with human or angelic languages... He's talking about human eloquence. They valued that. Remember, rock star preachers. If I, if I speak in human or angelic languages but do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just noise. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain Nothing. He's saying, he's saying, without without a godlike love for other people, uh, the ability to speak and preach is worthless understanding all of the theological mysteries of Christianity in the Scriptures is worthless. Knowing anything at all is worthless. Having faith that could work miracles is worthless. Uh, giving uh, to care for the poor is a waste of time. Giving up our very lives for the gospel is worthless. In fact, he says, if I don't love others and I don't love God, I am less than nothing. That I gain nothing, that phrase is a is a phrase that, that speaks of less than nothing. It's what we would call, a, a, I'm a zero with the rim kicked off. I'm a vacuum, worthless. I'm not even here. He said, Without lo- love is indispensable. It is the primary thing. It is the important thing. It is the essential thing. It is of first importance. It is more important than anything. He also says it's more difficult than anything. And he goes on to describe it. He basically says love is incredible. God, This God-like love that we are commanded to evidence in our own lives, this is incredible. How could this possibly be? And so rather than defining it, he, he describes it. Miss Ruth, it's almost indefinable. And so he just, he just gives every description that he possibly can of what this is like. And so look at verse 4. He, first of all, he tells us two things that love is. Love is patient, in verse 4. Now, this word does not mean that I am willing and able to wait a long time for something or someone. That's not what it means. It is a word that speaks of relationship, and it actually means the capacity to be hurt and not retaliate. Well, golly, how we doing? I mean, who lives up to that? I mean, the Scriptures, this is, this is not poetic, again, merely poetic language. How you doing in this thing of when people hurt you, 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 you endure it without retaliating? The ability to endure injury at the hands of another person without retaliating. You know, but I tend to give up on people, and I tend to retaliate. This is incredible. He goes on in verse 4 and says that love is kind... Not just patient, but kind. Patience endures without retaliating, except with kindness. Instead of retaliating with harm, love responds to harm with benevolent actions of love. Love overcomes evil with good. This is incredible. Uh, and God g- continues painting the portrait by describing what love is not. He, he says in verse 4 that love does not envy. Now this is really the word jealous. In, in some of your translations, very good translations, it will say love is not jealous. Love is not jealous. Now he's defining it this way. Uh, this, this type of jealousy, this type of envy is, wa- is wanting what you don't have and not being happy that other people have what you don't have. It is the inability, it is the inability uh, to be happy for other people. It has no ability to celebrate with other people. Uh, The Corinthian Christians were uh, covered up with this thing. They, they, They bragged about their spiritual gifts like some were more important than others, and they say and, and so it caused divisions in the church, and many were envious of the others who said, Well, I have this gift or I have this like they were responsible for them when they're not. God says, You don't have anything that you've not received. I give you these things. And so it caused a, a problem. But well, how can I tell if I've got if I've got a problem with this kind of envy? Here it is. Uh, when another person's good fortune makes you respond by saying, Not fair! Oh, that's not fair. Why, why, they get all, oh, you get all the good luck. Why not me? And sometimes we do that. that that's our first response when something good happens to someone. I mean to them. And we kind of say, well, I'm, you know, I'm smiling like we're joking. That's what you call sarcasm. You know the definition of sarcasm. Thinly-veiled hostility. That's it the inability to rejoice at the happiness of others. Love, He says love cures that. Love does not do such uh, a thing. Love rejoices with those who rejoice. Love laughs with those who laugh. Love celebrates with those who celebrate. Love is happy for the happiness of others. And so well, what do I do about that? Well, first of all, we're going to be praying that God would transform our hearts and put his love in our hearts. But here's some love practice. Uh, this week, this week, Start a habit of, uh, of, of write three handwritten notes to people congratulating them on something good that happened in their life. Just do that. So, but, I don't, but I don't really feel that way. C.S. Lewis said, don't mess around wondering whether or not you f- feel like you love your neighbor. Act like you do. Remember, it's easier to act your way into a new way of feeling than to feel your way into a new way of acting. And I don't have time to slow that down, so let's keep, keep going. He says, love is not boastful. Uh, it doesn't boast. It doesn't strut. It doesn't brag. It doesn't toot its own horn. Uh, love is a, uh, in fact, that's why God says in Proverbs 27 too, let another praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. He says, love is not conceited. It is not puffed up or arrogant. Have a swelled head. Doesn't think more highly of itself than it should. Now, the Corinthians, Christians in Corinth evidently had a a corner on the pride market. For the word here used for pride is used only seven times in the entire New Testament. Six of those times is used in this letter to the Corinthians. Uh, They had a problem with this kind of pride, but... Romans chapter twelve verse three says this: By the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Well, our problem is that we're self-important. Uh, we, it's not my problem is not so much that I think more highly of myself than I ought to. I do that. I do that. Uh, you know, I, I, but my problem is just that I think of as how much I think of myself. I'm, I mean in in quality but in quantity i think about myself all the time it's my def- it's my default setting i've realized humility is the opposite of this and humility is not thinking less of yourself it's thinking of yourself less You know, I tend to think about myself all the time. I'll tell you how bad it got. I wrote this sentence down when I realized it. Even while writing this sermon about not thinking about myself, I thought of how good you're going to think of me as a result of writing these things in this sermon. In Jesus' name, I did that. I did it. I did it. God, deliver me from myself. That's why our problem is self-image. Oh, I got a bad self-image. The problem is you're thinking too much about yourself. You're all blown up with pride. The problem is you think, it's the same thing. You're all thinking too much about yourself. There's freedom in self-forgetfulness. That's why Jesus said, if you want to follow me, the first thing out of his mouth was deny yourself. God, help us. Love will do just that. He goes on in verse 5 to say that love does not act improperly. Now, the word here is rude. It, 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 it's never okay to be rude as a believer. It, rudeness is not love. Uh, and we're a country that we we now, a lot of our entertainment, a lot of our hit television shows are about characters that are overtly rude. House. And we laugh at that. But it says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Don't entertain yourself with, with I mean, that's... You know, I I love great stories, and I I go to the movies and read great books and watch great television shows. But, you know, just remember that's not do. Don't watch the this junk. It's so powerful uh, to 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 make us think this is good. It's not. Love is not rude. He says, love is not selfish. Now, the word carries with it. it, Love has the idea of giving up for the sake of others, even what it is entitled to. It doesn't demand its own way. Love is not provoked, verse 5 says. One translation said it this way, love is not easily angered. Love is not irritable or touchy. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Love is not exasperated or stirred up easily. It's not easily incited to anger. When I love someone, I will be very slow to be angry with them. Like God is with us in Psalm 145 verse 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in faithful love. In Psalm 103 beginning in verse 9, the scriptures say, He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our offenses. Verse 14, for he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. And so the more you love somebody when they behave badly or irritate you, you tend to feel sad about them rather than mad about them. Or when other people sin and and train wreck their own lives, you, your first reaction tends not to be anger but sorrow because you understand what a short distance it is from where you stand to that behavior yourself. We're, we're weak, we're dust, we're flawed. Love is not easily provoked. But some of you are nuclear reactors. I mean, you got your fuse is smoldering all the time. I can see it on your countenance. You know, the Bible says that the countenance displays the heart. Right? Can't you see it on? Can't you see it on people's faces? You just walk up to them, and you know you need to start walking softly, be a little careful. Right? Bad things when it's your mom or your dad, your husband or your wife, your son or your daughter. Uh, Easily, you, yeah. But they made me mad. No, nobody makes you mad. Angry. We choose to be angry. God says. They just give, some people just give us wonderful opportunities. But he says, okay, let's take this seriously. Who's up for this? How you doing living this out? It's incredible. But pastor, what if a real injury has been done to me? I mean, real injury. Well, let's see what he says next. Oh, love does not keep a record of wrongs. Not resentful, doesn't keep score, doesn't calculate the wrong of others. You know, when we're easily offended, we're, it's very easy for us to give up on them immediately, put them on the black list, get angry with them. When, and so you say, well, I'm not angry with them, I'm just hurt. Yeah, that's the same thing. Uh, and, and we, and then every time for the rest of our life when their name is mentioned, we we very p- subtly but powerfully express our disapproval. Hmm. little hmm. And then usually we go ahead and, then, and we rehearse this script of what they did. Oh, I've forgiven them, but you remember? You remember? Mm mm. No record of wrongs. What is the opposite of this? The only cure for this is forgiveness. We are to forgive one another as, as God in Christ has forgiven us, it's the only cure for keeping the list. It's like God deals with us in Isaiah 43 verse 25. He said, it is I who sweep away your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. Now listen, the amazing thing in there is he didn't say it is I who sweep away your transgressions for your sake. He said, I sweep away your transgressions for my own sake. Now it's good for us. It's wonderful for us, but God said it's way better even for himself to forget our transgressions. And it's not that we cannot remember people's transgressions. It's that we choose for our own sake to remember them no more. Not just bring it up. I know it's there. I can go there. I'm just not going there. God help me. God help me. And we all have plenty of opportunity to practice This, so love is patient, kind, not jealous, not boastful, not conceited, not rude, not selfish, not irritable. Keeps no record of wrongs. It's incredible. It finds no joy in unrighteousness, as we've said, but rejoices with the truth. And then we come to verse 7, which is... uh, it's just so poetic, but I've never it's, it's hard to understand. love, here we go, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Sounds wonderful. What does that mean? Well, this, this phrase, "it bears all things," almost it, it has a similar meaning to the very first characteristic of love, which was patience. endures wrongdoing without retaliating, but this means that uh, this kind of love always protects the one who is harming us. It it, it seeks to cover protectively all things so that the minimum harm is done to the object of its affection. In other words, it puts up with a lot. It covers over things. It endures all things from others in silence for their well-being. In other words, it keeps secret and confidential the sins of other people even when those sins are against us even when those sins are against us. There's another verse that says love co- covers a multitude of sins. Translators, uh, in Bible scholars come down a little differently on what all that might mean. I think it in, at least it includes what we're talking about here. When you love someone else, you just cover up their sins toward you uh, rather than... Hop up first thing when you've been wounded in the office and go down to a buddy down the hall and shut the door and say, I, did, I just got to, you know, I need you to pray with me about something. Really? Yeah. And, and you just, you just um, so-and-so just did so-and-so to me. and you do. Don't do that. Talk to Jesus about it and talk to that person about it. Remember, the Bible teaches just because something is true does not mean it should be said. Well, who's up for this? I mean, how do we live this way? It bears all things. It believes all things. Now, this does not mean that Christians are gullible and will believe almost anything. What it means is this. When in doubt, love prefers to err on the side of believing the best of others. Believing the best of others as opposed to first thing you do, questioning the motives of others bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. This hopes for the best in people, even when disappointed by them, endures all things. This is a, this is a phrase that literally means to remain under the load and not be easily squashed. Wow, to stick with it. Uh, it's the ability to maintain self under the most difficult of circumstances. Now, this kind of love never fails. never runs out, like we sang. It is undefeatable. Verse 8 says, this love never ends. It means it never fails. It It never ceases to do its job. It is undefeatable. Now, for you and me, all that we've described here is no option. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is not an option. This is in the imperative, and it is a command. We are... God holds you and me responsible to actually live this way. Well, if we're if we're reading the scriptures honestly, this is not a this is not a, a checklist to say, okay, let me set these goals and I'm gonna do better, I'm gonna work harder, I'm gonna try harder, and then God will be pleased with me. This is written to show you that this is impossible on your own. In the last few years in the wedding ceremonies that I performed where I read this passage after I finish reading it. I say, as believers, we, as believers in Jesus, we believe that human beings do not naturally in and of themselves have the capacity to love each other in this fashion. We need outside help. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, it's why God says, Be filled with the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23 is in the context of that big chapter that is all about life in the Holy Spirit. Life in Christ, life in the Holy Spirit. And it is by walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, living by the Spirit, being led by God the Holy Spirit in faith that will... Put us under the spout where the love runs out. That will put us in place where the Spirit of God can manifest His life through us. A few weeks ago, Jimmy Draper preached on the passage that said, And rivers of living water will flow from you. That's what He's talking about. Rivers of living waters, the life of the Spirit, will flow through us. We become conduits for. His love, He supersedes our love and He begins to give us His love. Listen, in Romans chapter 5, verse 5 said this, God's love has been, God's love, God's love, this agape love, God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. He'll give it to us. He'll give it to us. Now, some of you are not followers of Jesus. You have no capacity to live this way. In a sustainable fashion, you might have some short bursts. You must come to faith in Christ so that He indwells you with His Spirit. Those of you who are believers, this is not a do better sermon. This is a gospel sermon that says this should drive us back to the gospel, to the love of God demonstrated to us through Christ and His death on the cross for us while we were still sinners, resurrection from the dead, making a way for us to be forgiven, reconciled to God, adopted as his children, given eternal life, given the presence of his Holy Spirit to, uh, uh, to empower us and lead us and guide us and teach us. It is, a, it is a love so overwhelming. We just sang about it. A love so overwhelming that when we fill ourselves and our minds every day with the, uh, uh, with the gospel, we are amazed. This is amazing love. I mean, how can it be that my king would die for me? And that we're okay and that we can do nothing, even if we tried to run away, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It motivates and transforms and enables us to love the way God wants us to love and live the way God wants us to live, become the kind of person that God intends us to be. So we get there by praying. And we're going to do that now. I'm just going to ask you to turn the place where you're seated into your own private place of prayer. Our pastors and our staff and our elders who are here are going to have their take their places across the front in case you want someone to pray for you about any of these issues or any issues that are causing you anxiety or, or a con- concern. But do business with God. And I'm going to close our prayer time in just a couple of minutes. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.